Let's face it, whether you're hiring or trying to find work today, the process has become tougher than ever. Between ghost listings, AI-powered applicant tracking systems, chat GPT-written cover letters, and wild employment scams, how do you know if your resume, your application, or your job posting is even being seen by an actual human? That's why we've relaunched our job board to help you find your next opportunity. And if you're a company that's hiring right now, we'll feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of podcast listeners for just $99. Get started with us and expand your job search or your recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. We've got a new review on Apple Podcasts this week. This is from Miss Passell, M-S-P-A-S-S-E-L-L. It is titled... 4,676,567 stars. Uh, The review is straight to the point. I love Maurice. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for that review. I do believe that review came from Lauren Purcell, who is a good podcasting friend. She's been a huge supporter of Revision Path. Lauren, thank you so much for that rating and that review. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Ethan Baldwin. Ethan is the founder and creative director of the design studio Slash Instructor in Brooklyn, New York. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Ethan Baldwin. I am a creative director based in Brooklyn, New York. And this year I have started a new brand strategy and visual identity design firm called Slash Instructor. So I am a 
founder, entrepreneur, creative director, lover of all things uh, beautiful and designed for it and I catch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How has uh, the year been going for you so far since starting the business? It's been pretty good. I always tell people that the only downside has been kind of like the demons inside of my own head and trying not to get into my way. But within all the situations where I'm able to like push forward and really focus on what I'm trying to accomplish, it's all been pretty successful. It's been such a joy to work on crafting something that I'm building from the ground up. And I've been working with some amazing clients so far. I've got to work in some very cool projects. And it's nice just, yeah, being able to, what I say, raise this baby from birth. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to try to accomplish before the year ends? I mean, this could be business-wise or not. I would say from a very business-specific standpoint, I want to basically up my monthly run rate. But we don't need to like, talk necessarily talk about the specifics of numbers, but I do think having that kind of like business financial goal in mind is incredibly important. And really, I want to have a, it's like an established four to six clients by the end of the year that I can see that longevity with, like really kind of like, I will say the partnership feels like a family. So it's it's all still very new, got some great relationships. So it's all about building those connections outside of the work itself. Well, you know, since you talked about your studio slash instructor, let's dive more into that. What was behind the idea of you starting the studio? Yeah. So I worked as a visual designer for many, many years now. I got my start in advertising. And then after freelancing for quite some time, I mainly started working on the client side of things, working either for design teams or designing for marketing teams, also a little bit of product work. But after my last job, that job fell through, got let go, kind of like that post-pandemic, I'll say like that post-pandemic bubble kind of burst, I realized I didn't want to be in an office anymore unless it was the group of people that I really felt that I could build a team or a family with. There was a product that was I was super passionate about. But really, I just wanted to create something that really tapped into my design methodology, like the way I run projects and the way I see the world. And given all the places that I've worked in the past, I knew there was something that I could tap into based on the way I do things that could be of service to people. And I could be a better service doing it from my own firm versus trying to do it and change things from inside another corporation. So that really was the impetus to start the company. And the name Slash and Structure, Slash has always been in kind of like my artistic forward usernames for many years now. And it always kind of stemmed from, I do this slash this. I do design slash programming. I do print slash digital. And there is always that push that I got from people. Like you really need to niche down. You really need to focus on like serving one particular audience. And it was a lot of figuring out how I can do that. Like again, like 
you want a good business to serve a specific audience. But just being me and having this brain that wants to pick up on so many things, my experience got me to where I am by being able to pick up a whole bunch of different skill sets and talents and interests. So having that slash in there, being able to see a whole bunch of different either types of mediums or types of industries to really get people to focus on what their goals are and what their content is and how I can then put visuals on top of it. I guess that kind of became the through line for all of my work. It's really about helping people figure out what it is that they want to do or build or sell. And I can apply a number of different mediums or modalities to help them achieve that. So you're bringing basically to their project slash structure. Yeah, it's, I would say <laughs> as, as, in my business, the slashing is going through whatever they have so far. So usually I'm working with the client. It usually starts with like, I want a website or I want a motion graphics piece or I want this set of collateral. I'm like, okay, that's all well and good, but we need to figure out who you are, what you're about, what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so that's another play on the slash part. We take all of the stuff that you've kind of set up for yourself. We slash it all apart. We look at what all the individual pieces mm-hmm. are and we figure out how to put them back together in a way that makes sense for you and for your audience or for your desired customers. And then the structure comes after. The structure is building those systems in place, giving you the platform that you need, and then giving you a way forward that's scalable. Because at the end of the day, while I want to keep all of these partnerships, my biggest thing is I want to build solutions, like design-based solutions that clients will use on their own. Like if they need to update their content on the website. I make sure that the sites that I build have like a robust CMS that they can update their own content. They can change their own pictures. And it's always those little things that clients tend to get so wrapped up about. And I'm like, that's the least important part of all of this process. That's the least important part of your growth. I want to make those things as easy as possible. Clients can focus on building their business and talking about themselves and really figuring out who they are and getting that out there. How's business been going? So far, pretty good. A bit of a, say there's like that standard slowdown in the summer. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of that was mainly coming from me. I needed to take a break physically and emotionally. As I uh, talk about it, had a nice little vacation this summer, went away for three weeks, and now I'm kind of getting back into the swing of things. And it's weird because as much as I needed that break, I have missed that energy of like bringing in new clients and working on multiple design projects simultaneously. Like it's an ebb and flow uh, with the business. So this fall is going to be picking back up pretty, I would say, pretty steadily, pretty soon. Are there like specific types of clients that you like prefer to work with, like in a particular like area, like healthcare or business or something like Mm -hmm. that? I would say I like to focus in terms of client size. I like to focus on solo entrepreneurs or like very small teams that are just building or larger companies that have a bunch of systems in place that they're looking to improve upon. And I mainly focus on like 
SaaS platforms, technology, anything that usually tends to have a whole bunch of data points, whether that be tons of customers or tons of product segments, but anything that tends to have a lot of data points that need to get organized. And that usually falls inside of that's like the tech and digital product space. And I'd imagine that probably draws on your background too. I mean, prior to you starting slash instructor, you were at Clear, which you, you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of feeding into that in a way. Yeah, the majority of my experience really has been kind of working with a product or a platform that at face value can seem like very boring or everyday and figuring out ways to make it appear more luxury or make it more accessible to a wider audience or just provide some clarity for people to understand it better. And within all of those places that I've worked with my clients now, it really goes to what I always call like, what is your flag in the sand? Like, what is the one thing that you're trying to say? What is the one person that you're trying to reach? And finding that flag in the sand is, is hard because we, we naturally want to get as many audience people, people in our audience as possible, reach as many people as possible, make everybody happy. This is a thing that I struggle with as well. The more that we find the specific person that we're trying to reach and improve and serve the better reach we end up getting because the connections that we create in our business end up making more sense. We find the people that fit what we do. What are some dream projects that you'd love to do through the studio? Oh, I would love to do like a, a platform rebrand for like some, <laughs> it's sort of like boring banking product or something in, like, I'm thinking of these aren't boring banking products, but like, like these new products that are coming out in the financial space, like Chime or Rocket Money, these things that are finding, I would say, mm. contemporary ways to do very boring tasks, like bookkeeping. What is a way that those products can be packaged and presented in a way that gets people more excited about doing their monthly bookkeeping or doing their taxes and not having this weird like aversion to having to do all the boring stuff. I'm always trying to find ways to make boring stuff less boring because that's how I have to function <laughs> as a designer. If there's a tedium, it is always hard for me to get started. So always looking for those types of projects. And like, so yeah, so there's that and it sounds real weird, but I love doing annual reports. Like again, anything where I get to play with like large amounts of data, making charts and making graphs and making those things move. Mm-hmm. Any ways that we can provide, like provide more understanding through visuals, those are things that I really get behind. Well, you know, I'd also say the other thing about even if you're in the market for doing not necessarily annual reports, but things like that, you can really find a way to become a part of a company's like design budget or marketing budget. Like mm-hmm. back when I had my studio and I was really doing a lot of design work with clients, my main goal was I want to be a line item on the budget because then yeah. that way every year, you know, you're getting some kind of work, you know, as a retainer or something like that, but you know, annual mm-hmm. reports, email newsletters, like any sort of thing that you can do continually and build that relationship with them. It ends up being really lucrative for the business, but also it provides mm-hmm. you as a creative 
a lot of stability in what can be a very unstable. I mean, you know, striking out on your own is never easy. You got to find mm-hmm. clients. You got to do all the admin work and stuff like that. But having that level of steadiness allows you to then explore other things, either through your studio or outside your studio. But you always have that that rock to come back to. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it's interesting that you mentioned the the retainer model because that's something that's something newer that I picked up for my business, and I've discovered in the past year that it really works for me. Part of it is exactly what you mentioned. Um, Kind of like having that stable, repeatable income coming in makes it easier to focus on growing the business or growing different projects in or out of the business. But from a client perspective, I like the retainer model because it allows me to grow with a client and really help them see and understand the creative process and specifically like the identity creative process like getting into brand style guides going like, this is why this purple shows up in all of these places. Having that ongoing design relationship with someone, you get those aha moments where they are starting to realize that, oh, that's why you did that as a creative. And so that's how I, I kind of like divide up my business. I have kind of like the brand strategy, brand building side of things, which is project-based. And those are usually focused with smaller business or solo entrepreneurs who are looking to grow something from scratch. And then I have the retainer model and those usually go with larger companies that kind of like, we need someone to do X number of banners or do this video. And what I've seen is that through that retainer process, it usually helps clients see we don't need a lot of the dumb stuff that we ask for. Mm-hmm. Oh, so mm-hmm. it's like it teaches them how to use more templates. Like, yes, you have me on a retainer and I will do whatever that you want me to do, but you probably don't need me to do PowerPoint graphs all of the time. Once they see everything that's capable and how things can be templatized and automated, they then start to focus on more of the big ticket projects that are going to give them more ROI and that works for me because then I get to work up more interesting things. I don't want to say it's a magic <laughs> trick, but it's kind of a magic trick in a way because sometimes yeah. companies don't really know what they need creatively until they have a creative on staff. And then mm-hmm. as you're able, you know, and even, you know, that's even in a, a freelance capacity. But then once you're doing that work for them, they're like, Oh, wait a minute. You can do this and we could do this. And maybe we don't need to do this. They're going to trust you also because you've built that relationship over time. And it's mm-hmm. less of kind of this one off sort of thing that you have to try to win them over about. Exactly. And piggybacking off of that, one thing that I've noticed on going off on my own and working at a vendor for clients versus working in-house, there's this weird, I don't know, mindset of that when you're working as an outside expert, there's a heightened level of understanding or at the very least respect for what it is that you do. Because like for a lot of the things that I'm doing now, they're the exact same things that I did at places working in-house. But because to a certain extent, people are now coming to me to solve very specific problems versus just me being there to just quote unquote do things, I'm able to get people to shift their briefs a bit better so they're improved or they like 
maybe you don't need to do this. Let's do this. There's, there's more opportunity for rapport. And it's weirdly because I'm not on their payroll <laughs> <laughs> or like, like I'm a line item, but I'm not on their payroll. It, it's weird. It's like a mental shift where they feel like they can get more out of having this vendor relationship, like more value from it. I haven't been able to figure out what that is, but it's one of the biggest things I've noticed after making this shift. Value is good. I mean, never nope. discount that at all. <laughs> now, there's more about your career I want to get into. Of, of course, you know, you've had a very prolific career and we'll get into that a bit later. But before we do that, let's kind of learn more about Ethan. Let's learn more about you <laughs> as a person. You're based out of Brooklyn currently. Is that where you're mm-hmm. from originally? No. So I'm originally from Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, and my whole family is from deep, dirty South, Aiken, South Carolina. But I've been in New York since I left college in 2006. So I feel like I can, I can officially say that I am a New Yorker now. Okay. Now, yeah. did you sort of always have this interest in design and everything growing up? Like, was it something that your family cultivated or anything like that? So strangely enough, my mom, my mom is also a visual artist. So she was a photographer for the Smithsonian, basically her entire career. She just retired about a year ago. And she's also a fine art painter, ceramicist, and she does a lot of tapestry work. So she kind of like the idea of having all of these artistic hobbies, I would say, came from her being a multi-hyphenate, so to speak. But in terms of a line of study, I actually started as a theater kid ever since I was little. I did theater. I did dance. I went to school. I joined the theater program and did that up until, let's say, like halfway through my junior year. And there was just a shift. Like, I've always wanted to create things, Mm -hmm. but I realized I wanted to be more behind the scenes and I wanted to create either physical things or things that were just like had a bit more, I would say, staying power. They weren't as ephemeral as like a stage performance mm. and i always had an interest uh, growing up dance i always had an interest in like dancing choreography and my main i always wanted to do music videos okay that was kind of like the biggest thing that got me into like the visual arts and why i jumped into advertising i'm going to be that person who makes like the next gap commercial and so that's when i made that shift in college and we didn't have a marketing program at Oberlin, but I wanted to focus on making beautiful images. So my studio art focus was photography. And my senior thesis was a coffee table book called Ego Boost. And it was really just editorial photography for my friend. And the point was, I truly feel that everyone should deserve to feel like a celebrity for mm-hmm. at least an hour. And so I like made this coffee table book and then we made all these posters of all of my friends who modeled it. We put the posters around the school and then we made these little collector cars that people could pick up. And then instead of having the thesis show in the museum, which was kind of standard, I had it in the student union and ended up making like this huge white party, like Puff Daddy style white party. <laughs> and then built these translucent lit up walls to like house all of my photography. And had my friend from the dance group I was in, he he had the DJ and we had a bar and like, it was the art world, but in a way that was 
fun and fit like the community that I'm from like that. It had that performance piece to it, but it's mm-hmm. still focused on photography. It was very hip hop focused, very focused around dance, but at its core, it was fun. Like the whole point is that all of this stuff is supposed to be fun. Like being a designer, being a creative, like we have these jobs that make no sense if you think about them. But we're able to tap into something that's really kind of like magical, especially in our clients, because we're able to make those connections with things that people can't necessarily verbalize. Or we can see something out in the world or can hear a piece of music or see, like watch a movie and like have that be the foundation to build a whole bunch of new ideas. And we made somehow made that to a job. Like it's, it's wild, but it's, it's, that's what's fun about it. So while you were there, you majored in visual arts. And it, I mean, certainly this sounds like it was a visual art production in some capacity. Mm-hmm. How was your time there overall? It took me a while to appreciate Oberlin for the school that it was. I mean, it's a great school, very like hippy dippy school, but it's also a school that has such a rich history, especially when it comes to like what they've done for marginalized communities, what they've done for specifically like black people in America. And it's also still known for having this amazing conservatory. So even if you're not a musically inclined person, you're always surrounded by music, and opera, great dance theater. It was a great place to be specifically for the arts, considering that it's not an art school. So yeah, I really appreciate being at Oberlin until I made that switch from doing theater and going into visual arts. So that's where I, I really found that my creativity aligned with who I was. Okay. So yeah, I tell everyone, everybody should go to Oberlin. <laughs> it, was great, it was a great school. So Oberlin kind of pushed you in this other direction then, it sounds like. Yeah, I would say Oberlin gave me the space to find that other direction. Because mm. I didn't know that I wanted to go into advertising. I can't even really say that I wanted to go into advertising. I knew I wanted to dance and I wanted to make videos. Like when I was a kid in middle school, I would make uh, like behind the scenes music videos of the musical cast. So like almost like behind the music before the high school musicals. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just wanted to do some sort of like upbeat music media that I know got people moving, got people dancing. And Oberlin gave me the space to figure that out. I mean, like there wasn't a marketing program. There's a studio art program, but it wasn't like a fine art program that you'd get at an art school or a design school. It really taught us how to find what our voices are, find what it is that we want to do, and then do that successfully. Mm. I got a good amount of fine art training for photography. While I was at Oberlin, mm-hmm. shout out to Professor Pipo. He was, is the absolute best. But the biggest thing that it taught me was how to prepare a show, how to work on an outline, how to sell an idea, like how to fund all of the stuff that you're trying to build. Like it strangely taught me a lot about the business of being creative. Hmm. I mean, I think, you know, that's a great thing to get in college, especially because from other people that I've talked with on the show that have went into design or they discovered design in college, business wasn't really 
an aspect of that. I think there might have been one or two yeah. folks that I've had on where there was some sort of business component along with their design, but they ended up having to sort of pick up those skills later in the real world, you know, not in a, mm-hmm. a very sort of, I would say safe. I mean, I think college is a safe environment to learn and to grow in that aspect, but it sounds yeah. like Oberlin really provided that for you though. Yeah, I would say in, so as part of the senior thesis program, we do a, I think they picked it's like 10 or 15 students. And one of the biggest projects is we do a big trip to New York and you get kind of like fully immersed into the art scene, but really like the business of the art scene. So we visited all of these galleries throughout Hell's Kitchen in Chelsea and met with all of these kind of curators and gallery owners. And it was really to teach us how to learn how to pitch. Like, how do you take whatever your artistic creative idea is and make it so other people will want to fund it? Someone will want to put it up. How to get your own ideas out of your head so that someone else can comprehend them. So we each had to, like, we, it was basically like a pitch challenge. We each had to learn how to pitch inside of the environment of an actual New York museum. It was scary as hell, but that was more important in the long run than any kind of like fine art training, I would say. And I'm eternally grateful to the arts program at Oberlin for that. Because like anyone can pick up an artistic skill, a fine art skill, but if it's something that you want to make into a career, I always tell people 80% of my job now has nothing to do with me designing. So once you you graduated, uh, you started working for an agency working mm-hmm. for DDB as a junior art director, knowing that you had this, you know, this sort of business skill that you had acquired from Oberlin. How was your time there? Like, what do you remember from that time? DDB was one of the best jobs I ever had, mainly because of the network that I built. Like The people that I met on that job, I'm still friends with a lot of them to this day. One thing I do want to talk about that job is I got that job through the MATE program or the Multicultural Advertising Internship Program. And MATE is part of the 4As Foundation, and they just do amazing work with bringing awareness of the marketing advertising industry to students of color throughout the nation. So I owe a lot to that organization for helping me land that job. I got the internship through that program, and, and DDB hired me after the internship. And DDB, I learned a lot about who I was as a creative. It was a very kind of standard house. I worked on some very cool clients. I got to, I did some storyboards for Diet Pepsi. My favorite project from that time was making a bunch of billboards for Subaru and then getting to see them like get put up over the PCH. I just, that was like one of the coolest things because something that I created was now 50 feet in the air. But I learned that there's a big difference and it seems to be more apparent now. There's a big difference between like the design side of things and the art direction side of things. And I don't necessarily think that there should be, but I knew after that job, I think I was there, I was there for almost two years. After that, I knew I wanted to focus more about how to find my design voice. And that's why I jumped into this long phase of freelancing 
after that. I, I got a job at the Apple store working late nights and then would just take different freelance jobs throughout the day. I recommend every creative go through a phase of just picking up freelance projects. If I was to say one thing that everyone should do, it is that. It's the best way to figure out what your design voice or what you love doing is to really just try out a whole bunch of different things. Hmm. I want to go back to what you said about sort of the the difference between like art direction and, and visual design that you just mentioned. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. It's funny. One of the things I discovered after like doing a bunch of freelancing and then kind of wanting to like settle into a, a full-time job that having been out of the advertising game, so to speak, it was harder to get back into it because in most advertising firms, like your design function, like your design talent usually ends up being part of a production team and your art directors and your copywriters, like they're the ones who are coming up with the ideas for campaigns, print campaigns, motion graphics, commercials, like there's a lot of it kind of just like started with like the ideas of making the commercial or the print ad. But the art director would kind of come up with the visual idea, but they weren't necessarily illustrating or drawing or building the site for a multimedia campaign. They were kind of like coming up with the ideas with the copywriter partner. And then eventually that would go to production. And there was something about that that I, that I missed. Like, I want to, I want to push the pixels and do some of the illustration and I don't really do that now. There's much, there are people who are much better illustrators than I am. So I'm obviously going to farm that work out, but there was such a divide between like the design and the art direction. Again, like that's where the slash originally came from. Like I, I have a, a very close friend of mine that I met at DDB and like she said to me, you like, at this point, you need to decide, like, do you want to be an art director? Go down like the, art director to creative director to chief creative officer path down an advertising journey or do you want to be a designer going to it being a senior designer working for a design firm working for a production house and i couldn't agree with either of those options <laughs> <laughs> like there has to be something that has both because I always knew like I wanted to work on the big ideas, but I also wanted to have a hand in how it was crafted. That craft is again, like the fun part. And I've seen with a lot of kind of people at the director level that it's very easy to get jaded and you lose sight of the thing that made you want to do all of this. Mm. Like, pulling out crayons, pulling out markers, getting on a whiteboard or a sketchbook and drawing out ideas or figures or little stick people or landscapes. Like that connection to the craft is still incredibly important to me. And especially like when working with my clients, I would say that's one of the things that I offer. Like I I'm going to help you work through your ideas, like your high level ideas to build your campaign or build your website or build your next video piece, whatever the project is. But I also want you to trust that like, I'm going to make something for you with you 
And it's also going to be pretty. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. Like it's design, like the content is always more important, but creating something that is beautifully designed and constructed and illustrated is just such a great feeling. And so I wanted to make sure that that divide of being a creative director and being a designer didn't really exist for me. I don't really see the need for that divide. If you have a larger company and you can section out those functions, then great, good on you. But that's not what I want for me. I wouldn't want to be either or. I think having both allows me to serve people better. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't want to have that. I guess you could call it a restriction in a way. You wanted to be able to do it all. Yeah. And and that was kind of the moment where I really, I probably wouldn't work for an ad agency again. And not necessarily because I didn't want to, but because it's like talking with hiring managers, like they want to see that you have, like you've worked on X number of commercials or X number of campaigns. And I was like, well, I've worked on plenty of campaigns and I've worked on tons of video pieces, but not necessarily in the context of an ad agency. Like in all of the places that I've worked, I've been able to work on long form video, full website builds and beautiful out of home print work and like big event installations. I really just started to love working in house because the idea of that divide was less apparent. Mm. Now, you've done a lot of, you know, freelance work. You've also worked full time at some pretty prestigious places. You were at Dow Jones for a number of years. You were at Pulse Point. Uh, you were at Q Beats. Um, earlier, you mentioned being at Clear. We don't have to go into those like particular ones individually unless you want to, but I'd love mm-hmm. to know when you look back at those experiences, like as a collective, what sort of stands out to you the most? And it can, mm. it can be multiple things too. Yeah, I would say for all of those jobs, my biggest thing is I wanted to do something that would somehow like leave a mark. And it doesn't have to necessarily be my mark, but something that's going to change the way whatever place that was thought about how they did business or they did design or they went into a website build or thought about branding. And if anything, I would say I've been able to achieve that through line in all of those, in all of those places. Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal, like that was a particularly weird and but fun and exciting experience because it was one of those places. And this goes back to the idea of kind of like in-house spots being a bit less restrictive on like what your experience is and where you work. I got hired there. My title was multimedia communications manager. Who knows what that means? <laughs> and it was within the HR department. And I remember my interview. One thing that stood out to them was the fact that like I, I told one of my interviewers that I that I tap dance. And I remember there was at some point where someone asked me to do a, a, a shuffle step in an interview. And I was like, I will do this once. Oh uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was pretty far along. Um, okay. <laughs> I was like, you, this is, we're treading, 
Yeah. yeah I mean, there's, um, there's tap dancing metaphorically for an interview. And then there's that literal tactic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but that job taught me so much again about crafting what it is I want to be doing and what the things I love doing can be of service for who I'm doing it for, because there was no precedent for my job in that function and inside of the learning and development team. But what I got to work on was building a whole bunch of internal campaigns. And it really actually brought out my love for learning and development in particular and building training programs and building curriculums for other employees. Like one of the biggest things there was being able to help start the DJ program or digital journalism at Dow Jones. And it was all about bridging the gap between kind of print journalism and digital journalism. And so we did multiple versions of this week-long training program in New York, Princeton, London, and Hong Kong, where like we talked about the business as a whole, but we also got to do very specific trainings. Like this is how you can use your iPhone to shoot footage on the fly for a smaller piece or here are the rules around photo licensing so you don't get sued. Like it got into like very specific trainings. And that was just so fun for me because we immediately got to see the results from our efforts. And I knew from that, that like part of what I want to do as a designer, as a creative, help teach people how to do things better or how to make a process easier. This goes to working for Clear. And one of the big things there was like revamping the website and eventually moving to the Webflow platform. I will talk about Webflow all day long. Absolutely <laughs> love that. But one thing that was really important to me was getting everybody, like all of the stakeholders, some sort of system that they could start focusing on their own content and inserting their own content where it needed to go versus always being dependent on a developer or on me and the design team within marketing to like do something like make a new blog entry or insert a new airport location. Like You don't need a team of designers to do something like that. So my goal was to build a system in place and then teach people to kind of do those content updates for themselves and it makes the working relationships so much easier. And there's always that aha moment. I'm like, oh no, you updated that webpage. You updated a webpage. Mm -hmm. You just built a new webpage. And of course, like me and my team, like we do all the stuff on the back end to like make those templates and whatnot. But like you now see that it wasn't about how beautifully is, is it designed or am I going to break something if I enter in this bit of text? Like, no, like, as designers, like one of our biggest goals is to create solutions that help people do things better. Like if you're designing a chair, like you want that chair to be beautiful, but it also needs to sit someone's butt. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like it's design without function is just art, which has its place, but like function and again, serving someone and making their life easier is always at the forefront of what I do. Mm. Now, is there anything different about how you do business now as opposed to when you first 
started freelancing? Because you mentioned, you know, you were kind of working at the Apple store, you were also freelancing. So I would imagine even just kind of trying to juggle work and freelance work was a bit hard. But outside of Mm -hmm. that, like, what do you do different now that you did when you first started? Well, when I first started freelancing, it was a little bit different because I mainly worked through placement agencies. So it was like people would often find work for me and I would work on those projects on whatever basis that they had. And now I pretty much do all of finding clients through word of mouth or through my own lead generation. So that's one kind of logistical difference. Mm-hmm. And at some point I may like jump back to using a, a placement agency because I have absolutely nothing against it. It's just not something that I'm doing right now. But in terms of knowing more about myself and how I operate as a creative, I would say the biggest change is I will not work on a project if I know I just absolutely don't want to do it. It's one of the biggest things I tell younger designers. I had one job. You don't need to go into who it is, but it was a job that I was incredibly excited about. It was a, a big name and great for a resume, but working there, no one's happy and none of the projects were particularly interesting and like it, at its core it was just a job and the pay wasn't that great it really just was like a bad stepping stone i would say but all of that is to say that when you're starting out there's always this like pain in your chest about making sure you have enough money making sure your rent gets paid and making sure you have enough coming in so you don't have to just keep focusing on work But I've learned now that if the work itself is not either fulfilling and enough to make it worthwhile to work on, or they're just paying you absolutely extravagantly, finding a job just to find a job as a creative, usually it's not worth it. Mm. As a creative, you're not going to perform your best if you don't want to be there. Your client's not going to be served in the way they should be served because you don't want to be there. And it's just going to be miserable for everyone involved. And at all of this, at the end of it, you probably won't even get a good portfolio because you're not exactly proud of anything you've done. So I would say it's better for me to sit and work on some back-end stuff than just jumping into a job just because the job has presented itself. Mm. Outside of that, how would you say you've just grown creatively like how have you grown as a creative over the years i've definitely become more efficient i would say i just developed a lot of processes to help get to an end product faster and i would say i've also learned to give myself a lot more grace and knowledge that not everything is always going to be perfect like i can definitely say that i am a very good designer but i am not the best And I'm not going to be the right choice for every single client that comes my way. And being able to say, oh, I'm not the right fit for you. Let me recommend somebody else. Or I'm just not the right fit for this project because secretly, I just just don't want to do that. It's not going to bring, it's not going to give me anything outside of the paycheck. And being okay with that that took a lot of growth. It's okay to say no. And I've learned that we as creatives, like we can have more stock in ourselves. Like we think about 
other service industries, think about mechanics, you think about electricians, and they have this very specific skill set. They're able to do this thing amazingly well. And for whatever reason, I've noticed that as creatives, we tend to not think about ourselves in that same way because the thing that we do isn't necessarily as tangible. But the results that we provide to people are. And so we focus on like, I built this website, but that website increased conversions by X or this social media campaign increased their, this company's Instagram followers by Y. Like there are tangible results, tangible business results to the beautiful, weird idea connections that we make as creatives. And I think we need to start giving ourselves more stock in ourselves because of that. That's another thing that I learned. Yeah. <laughs> Who are some of the people that have really kind of helped you out in terms of mentorship or, or anything like that over the years throughout your career? I was like, one of the biggest people I follow, and this is everyone kind of in my state follows this person, but um, Chris Doe of the future has always been like one of those people that if there's a conference, I may or may not go. But if he's there, I likely will go because he has a very no-nonsense, matter-of-fact approach to not just being a creative, but really how to be a creative business, how to run a business, and how to get through the day of running a business in a way that like, isn't confusing. It kind of just is what it is. And if he's kind of just like, follow what I say or don't. There's a level of confidence there that I find so admirable because that is also, again, that's eventually the level of confidence that I want to be at. That's the level of confidence that I want to give to all of my clients. Everyone should feel that good about what they do and what they provide to the people that they do services for. And then I would say a more personal mentor is actually uh, one of my old boss. And it's technically, technically she's still a current client. But one of my old bosses at both point, Maria Simeone, we've had such a weird working relationship. And I think it's a matter of we work really well together, but she's like, she's very much a marketing brain from like the strategy and the business side of things. And I learned so much about marketing from that standpoint from her, because that's not how I approach problem solving at all, but just watching her work while we're at that post point and then watching her grow within the company, even grow further, even after I left, she always kind of like looked back to see what I was doing, would always give me like really good advice. She's always been open to like critique me on our work. And she also has a very similar, like no nonsense way of like, I would say gathering me together, which I appreciate. I'm, I'm very much a, uh, a tough love type of person. Because it shows me that you care and that you're invested, but you're also not going to let me fall completely on my face. Mm -hmm. So what does success look like for you now? I mean, you've got your, your studio, you're out on your own. What does success look like at this stage in your career? For me, success is being able to do what I want when I want. And that's really to say, if there's a day that I'm not feeling well and, or I just need to br a break and I just need to go walk in a forest. I really love camping, <laughs> but to be able to just go do that and make sure like I have rapport 
built with my clients to say that I'm not going to be working or to have enough of the work done in a system in place that I'm not needed 100% of the time or being able to travel as I see fit and work as I travel. Like I try to keep a very, I would say like lean tech profile Mm -hmm. so I can really do what I do from anywhere. Like I have just like one small MacBook Air and then I have one larger Pro for video work, but I mainly just work on laptops because some days I want to go work in the middle of Central Park. And so I can do that. That's what success looks like for me, because for some people, success might be a a number amount, like a number of clients or revenue goal. And I have those goals from a business perspective, but success really looks like being able to take a vacation and not have to like sit there and tally up the number of vacation days I have left Mm -hmm. or not feel guilty about taking a sick day. Like it's always wild to me. I would always tell my team this like back when I worked in an office. Like, if you're sick, go be sick and get better. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't need you trying to like you're not showing that you're any more of like a badass because you're working while you're like dripping snot all over your face. Get out of the office. Go home. Mm-hmm. Go rest. But there's this weird we're in this working society where like every one of those things are tallied and counted for and often used against you. And that's something I I just cannot stand for personally. And I'm, I'm sure that will get me in a lot of trouble with a lot of places, but like, I'd much rather see people like do what they need to do to take care of themselves so that when they do work, they are working at 100% of their capacity and 100% of their joy. And again, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. That's how, that's how, I, that's how I, I run my business. If it's something I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make me happy. It's not going to make a client happy. Like it's not, no one's going to be happy in this. So yeah, that's success is being able to do what I want when I want. <laughs> yeah. To that end, where do you see yourself in like the next five years? Like what sort of work do you want to be doing? I would say in five years, I want to have some like big national tech brands under my belt. I want to work on some internal rebrands. I'm thinking of something like I recently uh, got to meet someone who worked on like Chase Sapphire and working on like this luxury sub brand inside of this big financial institution. And that would be a dream project for me taking all of these kind of like boring things like credit cards and points and like really building this almost lifestyle-ish brand around that very boring thing. So more of those within the next five years. But really, it's just scaling what I do now to just hit maybe a couple more clients each month. But I actually really enjoy how lean things are and being able to work with like freelancers as needed. But as of right now, like I, I don't really see like growing employees, too many employees inside of the business. I like the flexibility of building a network, so to speak, versus building like another office. Mm-hmm. Well, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience 
find out more about you, about your work, about the studio? Like, where can they find that online? You can find my kind of like personal or previous work at ethanbaldwin.com. You can find and sign up for an engagement with the business at slashandstructure.com. That's no spaces, no underscores, just slashandstructure.com. And there you learn a bit more about how the business functions and some of the clients that I've been working with. And you can also find me on Instagram at instagram.com slash slash instructure. Really, that double slash doesn't work as well when you're saying it out loud. <laughs> um, but yeah, instagram.com slash slash instructure. All right. Sounds good. Ethan Baldwin, I definitely want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. I like that you are someone right now that's sort of striking out on their own, especially at this time when there's so much happening in tech and design. I think also there's just kind of this instability with working at companies at the moment. Like it feels like a really mm-hmm. good time for a lot of people to kind of strike out. And you certainly not only have the you know professional experience with the places you've worked, but you've freelanced before as well. So I'm really interested to see uh, kind of where Slash and Structure goes in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Big, big thanks to Ethan Baldwin. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ethan and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, let us know. We're on social media. You can find us on Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter slash X at Revision Path in both places. Or you can follow us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts like Lauren did earlier. Or leave us a message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.